to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. So we have an exciting topic for you all today. There's been a lot of chatter in the community about making white better in Commander, and we thought we would pull back a little bit, focus less on white, and sort of answer the question of how you would quantify color power level in commander and then from there you'd be able to see not only whether white was worse off than the other colors sort of confirm what people are saying about it but also give some insights into why that may be and what the remedies might be for bringing it to par with the other colors we're going to be condensing a lot of nuanced information down into numbers oh yeah there's a lot of stuff going on here so we've got a ton of caveats about this discussion. We're mostly going to be focusing on if cards and effects that are generally useful in Commander. Although there are a ton of cards that are very powerful if you build your deck around them, they tend to push the power level of niche archetypes. We really want to talk about the position of all decks in a color. For example, like Pure Steel Paladin and SRAM helped white equipment decks get some card flow but they didn't really do much to help white decks in general. It's only if you're committing to equipment that you can fix that particular problem the white faces. We're also going to be looking at the more efficient end of the commander card pool. I don't know if you've ever heard of the card Fisher, but it's three red red for an instant destroy target creature or land. It can't be regenerated. It's instant speed creature removal in mono red, which is something of a rarity in the color. Yeah, that doesn't really exist, really. Yeah, but it's way too expensive to see play in Commander, and EDH Rec backs that up. It's in approximately 0% of the decks that can run it. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly, like, the community has decided that it's not good enough for Commander, and, and I am inclined to agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do want to say, at one point in time when we started playing, I ran Fissure Index. Over time, it just has become too inefficient. So I think that there are people out there that maybe are still running Fissure if you've been playing a long time, or you just have a card pool geared towards older cards, you might be running Fissure. But in general, when you look at the data... Fissure is not being played like it used to at bare minimum. <laughs> mm -hmm. When we talk about how many cards are in a given category yeah. in each color, I'm going to be talking about cards that are cheap enough to see a reasonable amount of play, not expensive outliers like Fisher. And speaking of cheap cards, I'm not super interested in limiting the discussion based on budget concerns. So I am going to bring up ridiculously valuable cards like Imperial Seal, because I think we need to talk about what's possible in the format in order to get a good sense of where the imbalance lies. Yes. Just a caveat, the data is going to look differently if you like limit yourself to cards that cost $20 or less, and that might be a discussion for another day. But really, I want to go like, assuming you have no budget or assuming like your playgroup allows proxies, what is possible in the format and what is the balance of the colors on that level? Turning everything up to 11, what does stuff look like? But before we dive deep into this topic, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access sweet rewards for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, jumping in. I would argue there are only a handful of types of universally powerful cards in Commander. 
I think the powerful cards either increase your resources, improve the quality of your resources, mm-hmm. like a, perhaps a tutor, answer your opponent's threats, or kill people. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty good effect. We can divide those categories up where it's appropriate. So like increasing your resources, well, there's three resources in the game. There's cards, there's mana, and there's life. So that's three different ways you can increase your resources. Answering your opponent's threats, there are many different card types, and Wizards divides up removal based on those different card types. Mm -hmm. There's also a distinction to be made between spot removal, like I am going to one-for-one trade with that permanent, versus like I'm going to destroy all permanents of a type. So even though there's only four main categories, things break down into many, many subcategories. I think we can remove the categories of cards that aren't important in Commander or which don't really contribute to any particular color's power level in this format. So for example, like straight life gain is generally not good in Commander. Yeah. Most of the life gain that sees play in Commander is usually paired with some other effect that matters more. So like Aether Flux Reservoir, yeah, it's life gain, but really it's a way to kill players. Most of us aren't playing decks that are just trying to like hit 200 life. If you're exsanguinating for 30 or 40. Exactly, yeah. Then the part that you care about is not that you're going up to 120 or 160. (laughs) It's that, okay, now I don't have any opponents left. Yeah. (laughs) Other things that we're we're not really going to be concerned about today, like mass planeswalker removal... That doesn't really come up. It's not as relevant as mass creature removal. Maybe in 10 years we'll be talking about mass planeswalker removal, but at this point in time, it's kind of a moot point. Yeah, there just aren't that many planeswalkers that see a lot of play in Commander. And also, like, planeswalkers, there's a built-in answer to them in just the rules of the game. So, like, spot removal for planeswalkers isn't that important either when every deck is running creatures that can just attack them. Also, like, the best examples of spot land destruction are, like, Strip Mine, Wasteland, Tectonic Edge, Ghost Quarter, Dust Bowl. A lot of colorless answers. So, like, spot land destruction doesn't really contribute to the power of any particular color. They're all kind of on an even playing field when it comes to spot land destruction. I'm just going to briefly list out all the categories and subcategories that I think are relevant for this discussion that we haven't ruled out. Increasing your cards... Increasing your mana, improving the quality of your resources, spot removal for instants and sorceries, essentially counter spells, Mm -hmm. spot removal for creatures, spot removal for artifacts, spot removal for enchantments, mass removal for creatures, mass removal for artifacts, mass removal for lands, and then ways to kill people. Breaking it all down, those are the things we're going to focus on. Those are the things that in a majority of commander games are going to be the most important cards you're casting. I also want to clarify... The, the category of cards that kill people a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If you've listened to our episode on eight mana game enders, like when we talk about win conditions, I don't think of like large beat sticks or token armies. Mm-hmm. Like if a threat is easily answered with spot removal or a board wipe, then when it kills somebody, it's more a reflection on your opponent's failure to find an answer. Every deck is running spot removal. Most decks are running board wipes. I mean, I've definitely died to, like, a Hydra Omnivore because yeah. someone didn't have a blocker and the three of us just couldn't draw a kill spell. That's not because Hydra Omnivore is, like, this insane card. It was a hand check and we failed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm talking about cards that are, like, 
very difficult to answer. So to me, cards that kill people are ones that kill your opponents the turn you cast them and aren't easily disrupted by removal. You can Doomblade a Craterhoof Behemoth, Mm -hmm. but it kind of did its damage as soon as its ETB trigger was put on the stack. Like, yeah, the crater hoof's gone, but you're facing down an army of, like, 8-8 tramplers. Yeah, out of of nowhere, there's this huge problem to deal with, and, like, a kill spell isn't going to solve it. Yeah, and likewise, you can kill a single creature in response to an insurrection, but there's still going to likely be more than enough power on the board to kill you. Mm -hmm. Unless you sacked your whole board, in which case, you sacked your whole (laughs) board. So, like, other good examples of... These cards that kill people, these win conditions, are Expropriate and Exsanguinate. Since both of them are powerful enough to win the game pretty much out of nowhere, like you can be have an empty board and cast Expropriate and now I'm favored to win. Yeah, same same yeah. with Exsanguinate. All I have is a bunch of lands, but turns out the amount of mana I can produce is greater than your life total, so Exsanguinate. And both of those cards can only be easily answered via Counterspell. So like in contrast, a good counterexample, something that is not a win condition, is like Storm Herd. Because, yeah, it produces a huge amount of power, but it's really just a hand check for mass removal. Mm-hmm. And also, like, can draw Storm Herd and it's just bad. Like, I've had games so many times where, like, I've had an expropriate, and, like, even though it was, quote, bad, I still won because I just got so much value off of it. Mm-hmm. Where Storm Herd, I've had games where. I cast it and I got like 10. Yeah, like even like 17 guys is kind of pushing it. And then they die eventually. Maybe you like spend two turns to kill someone and then someone's like, all right, I drew my wrath. So now I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not on the same level as the other cards. Yeah. And I also want to clarify spot removal a little bit. I think of spot removal as something that can stop what your opponent is doing at any time. Yeah. So if it can't stop a zealous conscripts that your opponent's Kiki-Jiki is targeting, then it's not a great example of spot removal. If it can't stop like a Rings of Bright Hearth from copying a Basalt Monolith's untap ability, then it's not great spot removal. You have to be able to interrupt what your opponents are doing for it to be good spot removal. So like a Vindicate, yeah, it's a really versatile answer, but... It's not great at stopping a combo or stopping something that exactly will murder you. Yeah, especially ever since Anguish on Making, I just kind of have not run Vindicate yeah. as often. So we've got our categories of powerful effects that are worth playing in Commander. So how do we turn this into numerical scores for power level for each color? In order to do that, we're going to need a little bit of math. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of hide some of the math from you guys in this episode, but yeah. we're, we're going to talk about as much as we need to get the point across, and then there'll be more info. Are you going to post it on your blog, probably? This podcast is going to be a shortened version. There's some things we're just going to like collapse and read out to you, and if you want the full story, if you want to really like check our math, check our homework, see the details so you can like you know formulate a counter-argument or whatever, that's going to be on the blog. You'll be able to find it easily. Before we jump into the math, I want a, a little bit of groundwork. In a 100-card singleton format, like Commander, what a color can do is not as important as what it can do consistently and efficiently. So Mono Red technically can answer enchantments efficiently because it has Chaos Warp. But that's one card in 99, and you're not likely to draw it in most games. So while it's technically correct to say Mono Red can answer enchantments, 
on a practical level, you're not going to draw that card maybe more than one in three or four games. Yeah. So it, it's not something you can do. You can't reliably make it happen. Yeah. So I think the best measure of whether a color can do something is whether there are enough efficient versions of that effect that you can expect to consistently find them by the time you need them. Let's say, and this is like a little arbitrary, but I told you at the beginning of this episode, there's going to be a little bit of hand waving, a little bit of like collapsing nuance, because that's what you got to do to talk about something on a really high level. So let's say that like a 90% chance to draw a given effect by turn eight yeah, is proof that a color is good enough for the purposes of ensuring you have an answer to a threat reasonably consistently. And, and to kind of be fair to this point, like when I'm building decks, I typically use a hypergeometric calculator. If you've never heard of these or seen these, they're wonderful. It's basically finding probabilities for you. You can just Google hypergeometric calculator, put in like 99 because that's your sample size and counting your first seven cards in your hand, you can kind of plot out like what turn, like what card I would have drawn. So like turn eight, you're saying would be 15 cards mm-hmm. drawn. So you draw 15 cards out of 99 samples and see like what the probability is if you have one in your deck, two in your deck, three in your deck, like so on and so forth. So this is actually something that I would recommend to deck builders in general to use. So I don't actually think it's that much of a stretch to like talk about this here. Like I do go, for instance, with Feather, how many of these cantrip effects do I reasonably want? And I put it in the hypergeometric calculator and play that many effects. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I think is a very practical tool to like talk about power level and color. Like it's not as hand wavy as Nick's kind of saying. It <laughs> is. To be fair, like you do have to choose your breakpoints, and that's the part that's that a little true. bit arbitrary. But that is true. The hypergeometric calculator, I, I agree, it's a very legitimate tool for deck building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in a 99 card deck, if you've got sample size of 15, so seven card opener plus eight draw steps, and you want a success rate of 90%, you're told that you need to run 13 redundant effects of whatever you're trying to do. That can seem like a lot. But you should be aware that like some effects can substitute for others. Mm-hmm. Like a beast within counts towards green spot removal for artifacts, creatures, enchantments, planeswalkers, and lands. The more versatile your answers are, the fewer different cards you need to squash into your deck. And then also like if you've got efficient card draw spells that increase the number of cards you see, you don't have to run as many of the desired effects. So like Maybe by turn eight, you only have eight draw steps, but if you're running enough draw spells that you're likely to see one early in the game, and then that's adding to your number of total cards drawn, it increases the probability of finding whatever given effect. Most importantly, efficient tutors are wild cards that count towards every other effect you could possibly want in a game of Commander. So if your color has enough efficient tutors that you can expect to draw one or more by the critical point in every game, then you only need to have access to a single copy of any given effect to ensure that you'll be able to find that one effect in every game. And, and I do want to stop you there because that, that seems intuitive like to people who've been playing a while, but like that's a very, very important thing to realize. That's not just like, a, oh yeah, black can tutor real good. Like, listen to this. Yeah. pretty nice. All right. For example, there is one spell in black that kills artifacts. I'm not counting colorless answers right now. Yeah, not color. And we're also going to kind of wave away Gate to Phyrexia because you can't do it when you want. Yeah. 
so Phyrexian Tribute is two and a black for a sorcery, sacrifice two creatures, destroy target artifact. It's very bad, but it works for the purposes of this discussion. If mono black was in the same boat as mono red, then there's no way this could help you answer artifacts in most games. It's like the chaos warp problem. Yeah. Yeah, it can do it, but you just can't expect to draw this every single game. Except mono black has access to a million tutors. And like just counting the ones that cost four or less, you've got Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, Cruel Tutor, Beseech the Queen, Imperial Seal, Grim Tutor, Diabolic Intent, Doomsday, Diabolic Tutor, Insidious Dreams, Masterminds Acquisition. When you add those 11 cards to Phyrexian Tribute, you get an 88% chance to find Artifact Destruction in Mono Black by turn 8. That's pretty crazy. Most decks don't have that. Yeah. (laughs) There only needs to be like one card that's good enough to run in Black for the effect to show up in every game. And I'd argue that it's the same for green. Green is not supposed to be the color of creature control. And like by the numbers, that's definitely the case. You can tally up efficient removal for creatures in every other color and green's just going to lag way behind. In terms of mass removal, you're limited to like Azuri's Predation and like Apex Altasaur, the, the newly printed card from Commander 2019. But here's the thing. Green has a bunch of really efficient tutors for creatures. And if you print an effect on a creature, then suddenly you have a hell of a lot of ways to find it. If you want to find your Apex Altasaur, because you keep running into tons of creatures you need to answer, like you can Green Sun Zenith it out, you can Worldly Tutor it out, Sylvan Tutor, Court of Calling, Fierce Empath, Fauna Shaman, Tooth and Nail, Survival of the Fittest, Natural Order, Finale of Devastation, Summoner's Pact. None of those cards I just listed are bad in Commander. Mm -hmm. You'll see them in a lot of games you play. Yeah, like most of them are format staples, and you're not hurting your deck at all by running them. But they also make it so that you're practically guaranteed to find any one of effect that makes it to print provided that card is a creature so like if you're in mono red or mono white you have to run 13 ways to kill artifacts in order to to see one every single game by turn eight you need to run 13 ways to kill enchantments 13 ways to kill creatures 13 win conditions if you want to get those effects But green can get most of the way there by running its 11 efficient tutors and then like one Bane of Progress, one Apex Altasaur, one Crater Hoof Behemoth. Like the best version of any single effect, you can make sure you see it every single game. Green gets to stretch its few extremely efficient answers very far because it has so many tutors. And it also gets to make more efficient use of its limited deck slots. Yep. Those 14 cards, the 11 tutors plus Bane, Apex Altasaur, Crater Hoof Behemoth, those 14 cards cover you perfectly across four categories of useful effects that would take up 52 card slots if there were no overlap among the cards. Basically, you get a lot more room in your deck to play with because you only have to devote a single slot to win conditions. You have your one Crater Hoof Behemoth, and that gets you the rest of the way there. With all that in mind... Let's take a look at how many efficient effects we have in each color. Yeah, so so take a breather if you've made it this far. This is definitely a heady episode, but we got some numbers and then you'll kind of see the payoff. You don't have too much further to go. <laughs> yeah, and this is a part that's going to be like, there's a lot of room for argument here. Take this with a big grain of salt. We had to like decide on some cut points. Generally, our process was like going for 
as widely useful as possible, as efficient as possible. But at some point you have to make cut points. And so some yeah. things get left off and you can argue that they deserve to, to count towards the number of efficient effects for mm-hmm. a given color. And, and honestly, like we should have these debates in a public forum. So if you do think that something has gone wrong, like you should reach out to us. And also be aware that like even though we've decided a cut point, even if you move that like one card to the left or right, what's going to matter is like the relative number yeah. in each color identity. Like yeah. if we talk about like there's three of these effects in red and there's eight of them effects in blue or 10 of them effects in blue, it doesn't matter if you like move the dial one left or right on red. There's still an enormous disparity there that we're trying to capture. Yeah. And that's really what you should be taking away from this. And once we get through this list, we're going to like give you some numbers summarizing it. Yeah. Just yeah. that'll be like a bit more high level and a bit more easy to see what all this means. Yeah, exactly. We're collecting numbers here and then we're going to try and help organize organize them. them. Yeah. And sorry, we're not going to have time to read out every single card yeah, because yeah. we're going to be talking about so many cards today. But I will post a link to the post in the episode description. Every card name will be linked there so you can yeah. take a look at the cards we're talking about. The big thing to remember here is that like in these categories, these are cards that do the thing. So in this case, cards that get you more cards in hand. Efficient effects that increase the number of cards you have. White, zero. Actually, I'm going to stop you here because I think the big thing people are going to say is Mentor of the Meek, which would be one in yeah. white. White gets one. <laughs> All right. I'll allow that that one for, for white. Yeah. Blue, there's too many to count. Definitely enough for a critical mass. Definitely hits that threshold of you. You're going to see one every game. Every game, yeah. Black, too many to count. Yeah. <laughs> S- same deal. Red, Wheel of Fortune, and Reforge the Soul are both good ways to like dramatically increase your card count. Beyond that, it gets... It gets a little hazy. You, yeah. you have a lot less efficient means of doing it. Green has some options. They're a little bit situational, but most green decks are doing these things, so I'm going to give them a pass. And sorry, these are just some of the distinctions we had to make in order to collapse this information down. Mm-hmm. For green, if you're going wide, there's like Shamanic Revelation, Collective Unconscious, Regal Force... If you're going tall with your green deck, if you've got a bunch of fatties, there's Hunter's Insight, Hunter's Prowess, Soul's Majesty, Rishkar's Expertise, Gark Primal Hunter, Return of the Wild Speaker. All of those can get you easily like four, five, six more, more cards. More cards, a ton of cards. So green has a lot of options as long as you are running like either a lot of creatures or a lot of big creatures. Increasing your mana. For white, you've got Knight of the White Orchid. That's pretty unconditional. Mm -hmm. And Smothering Tithe, also fairly unconditional. In blue, I'm going to count this a little differently. Blue has some narrow tutors that can get you the, like, efficient ramp that every color is getting. So in the same way that, like, Worldly Tutor counts as another copy of Apex Altasaur or whatever, like, a Trinket Mage counts as another copy of, like, Soul Ring or Mana Crypt. So blue doesn't really have efficient ramp, but it has a lot of narrow tutors that find the efficient ramp and make it so I'm going to see Mana Crypt more games than my opponents. It's much more reliable to find a Sol Ring in a blue deck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So blue has Trinket Mage, Fabricate, War of Invention. All of those are pretty efficient ways to to find your cheap, broken mana rocks. (laughs) Black has Cabal Coffers, especially if you're in mono black, Mm -hmm. and Crypt Ghast. 
Red has Neheb the Eternal as like permanent mana generation. And then there's of course like temporary mana generation, but we're That's not quite we're we're talking about like turn after turn, your resource that you have with this mana. Yeah, like not every deck is going to be interested in temporary mana generation. That's more of like a combo-y thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like every deck wants turn after turn. From here on out, I am two turns ahead from where I was previously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then green, there are too many ways to count. Yeah, th- this is green's like wheelhouse right here. Yeah. Moving on to improving the quality of your resources. So tutors generally is what this means. White has Enlightened Tutor, White has Idyllic Tutor, and White has Recruiter of the Guard. And we are like making a distinction between like what is too narrow to count. Yeah, definitely. Because there there are like very many narrow tutors in every color. Like Goblin Matron isn't gonna make the cut for red. Yeah, you have to be running goblins. Yeah. Blue has Mystical Tutor, Blue has Merchant Scroll, Merchant Scroll. It gets enough different things that I think it could go on this list, but that's one you can argue about. There's Personal Tutor, there's Transmute Artifact. Black, we listed them out earlier, there's too many tutors to count. It can very, very effectively improve the quality of its resources. Red basically just has Gamble and Imperial Recruiter. And green has too many to count. We listed them out earlier. Yeah, yeah, just a ton of creature tutors. Spot removal for instants and sorceries, which essentially means counter spells. That's really just blue. White has like lapse of certainty. Yeah, that's I think the best one. Like people joke about mana tithe and stuff. Yeah. We've argued that we think white should get more of this. Black, you could argue that discard effects, but they're the kind of thing like if I don't know this person has time warp in his hand, how am I gonna know to target him with like Exactly with whatever discard spell? spot creature removal white has swords to plowshares it has path to exile it has generous gift but beyond that it gets pretty hazy are you gonna run afterlife like three mana instant destroy target creature it can't be regenerated they create a one one spirit i used to like kind of in the same way i ran fissure but i don't anymore yeah i just don't think it's nearly as efficient because like the spot removal spells that see a lot of play are basically like all one two mana like you look at Blue. Blue has Pongify, which sees play in 8,000 decks. Rapid Hybridization, which sees play in 13,000 decks on EDH Rec. Reality Shift, which sees play in 15,000 decks on EDH Rec. It's so funny. Yeah. All of them see a ton of play, but like Afterlife sees play in like less than 400 decks Mm -hmm. on EDH Rec. It's like the community has decided that this is not good enough. Mm -hmm. Black, too many efficient spot removal spells yep. for creatures to count there's, yeah, there's a ton red basically just has like chaos warp maybe a braid and i would argue red cap melee from yeah, Corona Beldrain. Mm-hmm. and then green just has beasts within artifact destruction white has disenchant generous gift aura of silence yeah seal of cleansing those last two are a little arguable yeah blue doesn't have anything Black doesn't really have anything. No. Red has like a braid, chaos warp, goblin crater maker, and then green has too many ways to count to to hit artifacts. Mm-hmm. Enchantments, white, pretty much the same cards: disenchant, generous gift, or silent seal, cleansing. Blue and black have nothing. Red basically has chaos warp, and green too many. To so count. many, so many. Mass creature removal. White has too many options to count. They're better at it than anyone. Yep. 
Blue basically just has like cyclonic rift and evacuation. You could argue like Ixedrin because it turns things off. Yeah, you could. I've argue- heard that joke before. <laughs> yeah, you could maybe argue like Curse of the Swine. Oh yeah, yeah maybe. But really, not too many options. Yeah. Black has a bunch, not nearly as many as white, but they've got like Damnation, Toxic Deluge, Crux of Fate, Nightmare in Making, the new card from mm-hmm, C19. Mm-hmm. Black Sun's Zenith sees a lot of play, surprising amount of play. It's also got Extinguish All Hope, Life's Finale. It has Hellfire, but Hellfire does not Doesn't really, really see any play. play. It's yeah. kind of surprising. I, I mean, I guess given the price tag, maybe not. Red has fewer options. It's got like Blasphemous Act as its strongest one, but... It drops off pretty quick after that. A big part of the problem is that most of its mass removal is X spells. Yeah. Things like Rolling Earthquake, Fault Line, Star Storm. They don't scale great to Commander because there's like bigger creatures, higher toughness. So if you're spending like eight mana into your Star Storm just to kill like Titans, it's not nearly as efficient as what's going on in the other colors. And then green basically has like Apex Altasaur and Azuri's Predation, and that's it. Yep. For Artifact Destruction... White Scott, Austere Command, Cleansing Nova, Consulate Crackdown, Hour of Revelation, Planar Cleansing, Chroma's Vengeance. It's got some options. Mm-hmm. Blue and black have nothing for mass artifact destruction. Red, Shattering Spree, Biforce, Fiery Confluence, Subterranean Tremors, Shatterstorm, Vandal Blast. It's yeah, got ten. Yeah. yeah. Green has relatively few, but because it has Bane of Progress, it's got a lot more than it seems. Yeah. But like in addition to that, there's Wave of Vitriol, Creeping Corrosion, Seeds of Innocence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, Mass Land Destruction, White Scott, Armageddon, Ravages of War, Cataclysm, Hakori, Catastrophe. Blue has Sunder, Rising Waters, Back to Basics. Black has like Death Cloud. It's got like Infernal Darkness and Contamination. They're not quite Mass Land Destruction, but they are Mana Denial. Yeah, they definitely cut people off. Yeah. And then Red has like Ruination, Blood Moon, Mages of the Moon, Bust... Thoughts of Ruin, Epicenter. Yeah, there's actually a lot. Kelden Firebombers I would include okay. in this list, yeah. There's some stuff going on. Green, like, if you're playing against a deck with, like, very few basics in the deck, then, like, Wave of Vitriol will get there. Mm-hmm. And then win Conditions, the cards that kill people. White has nothing. Blue has, like, Expropriate. Black has Exsanguinate is a pretty good yeah. option for this. Red has Insurrection. Green has Crater of Behemoth. You can argue that there are some more cards that could go on that list, but yeah. there's not that much wiggle room. Okay, here's the important part. Yeah, we did it, everyone. Take a deep breath, and here's the, the data for you. Okay. Without the Tudor wildcard effect, we've added up the number of cards for each of these different categories that we just talked about, and then we have a total for each color. So if you add up the number of like white card draw spells, white acceleration, white tutors, white win cons, white spot creature removal, white spot artifact removal, white spot enchantment removal, white counter spells, white mass creature removal, white white mass artifact removal, white mass land destruction, you get about 39, we'll call them points. Yeah. Because again, there is some overlap. These don't necessarily mean distinct cards. Like generous gift gives you points in a couple different categories. Mm-hmm. But you get about 39 points in white. Blue, you get about 64 points. Mm-hmm. Black, you get about 44 points. Red gets 32 points. Green gets like between 48 and 56 points, depending on whether your deck can access those card draw spells. Like, 
a green deck without a lot of large creatures doesn't really get to access all those like Rishkar's expertise type effects. Yep. But again, this count is just without the tutor wildcard effect. So looking at the format this way, blue appears to be in the lead, followed by green, then black, then white, then red. If you include each color's tutors as wild cards for effects for which they have at least one good card. You'll see how these numbers play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about how things change. So if you include white's tutors, like Enlightened Tutor gets you some of your like enchantment mm-hmm. cards. Same with Idyllic Tutor. And Same stuff, with Idyllic yeah. Tutor. So White's total points gets bumped up to 47. It's tutors added to other categories, and it ended up with a whole eight more points than initially had. Blue went up to 74. Black jumped all the way from 44 to 70. Yeah, that's a huge jump. It's a massive jump. Red went from 32 to 38. Mm-hmm. And green went from eh, between 48 and 56 to between 71 and 79. Yeah, it's so many. It's such a huge leap. Including tutors as wild cards, green is in the top position, followed by blue, black, white, and red. So, like, what does that tell us about how the disparities between the colors can be evened out. I would argue that it tells us that tutors are the real problem. Like, to get white on a comparable level to green, wizards would need to print 10 wind conditions, 4 spot removal spells that hit artifacts and enchantments, 5 mass removal spells that hit artifacts and enchantments. In total, that's 19 cards that would all have to be efficient enough to see play in Commander. Yeah, it's pretty tall order. Yeah. Or... White could just print like a bunch of enchantment tutors and then a couple enchantments that are like good enough to play in each of these categories. That would provide all of the color needs in the same way that green's creature tutors cover for like relatively few effects that are good enough to see play. I I do want to note, however, that like Wizards is kind of down on printing new tutors at the moment. Yeah. At Magic Fest Vegas, we talked to Gavin Verhey. He said that Wizards doesn't think that tutors make games of Commander more fun. Yeah, so this is probably a problem that's going to persist in some form. Yeah, I don't think green and black's like duopoly on tutors is going to be challenged anytime soon. No, yeah, definitely not. Question to like complicate the data a little bit further. How much does the raw power level of individual high-profile commanders skew this argument? This, this is honestly, this is my favorite part, because I think, like, up until this point, when you get those last numbers with the tutors added in, it pretty much, like, mimics what people's play experiences have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this part here really, like, kind of hammers it home, like yeah. a lot of the cool stuff we've seen the last few years, but I'm spoiler alerting you guys. Yeah. So a couple years ago, everyone said that red was the worst color. Yeah. And that narrative has kind of changed, and people say that white is the worst color. Based on what we just told you, with tutors and without, white was above red. And so mm-hmm. I guess we need to like sort of reconcile why is it that, according to this metric, white is doing better than red, but the popular perception is that white is worse than red. Yeah. And I would say it comes down to a difference in the number of good commanders. Mm-hmm. If you look at the mono-red commanders on EDH Rec, eight of the top ten were printed in the last seven years. In contrast, only five of the top ten mono-white commanders were printed in the last seven years. So basically, like, 
Red has been getting, and I'm going to like equate popularity with goodness here, but Red has been getting more good commanders recently than White has. Or at the very least, more interesting ones that people like to play. Yeah, the ones that offer like interesting build-arounds. Yeah. Another interesting point that supports the idea that Mono Red has gotten more good commanders than White lately is that people don't like running red cards, but <laughs> Mono Red commanders are more popular than Mono White commanders. And let me provide some, some data to back up that statement that people don't like running red cards. If you've got a list of the top 100 white cards, like on EDHREC, they have a list of the top 100 white cards, the top 100 blue, black, red, green cards. For each of those 100 cards, they list the number of copies that are included in decks in an EDHREC's database. So if you tally up the number of copies of the top 100 cards in each color, you'll get the following counts. Green has 1,300,000 cards seeing play in the decks in EDHREC's database. Blue has 1,100,000. Black has just under a million. White has 859,000 cards. And red has 600,000 so green is doing best in terms of like the actual mm-hmm. cards being run, then followed by blue, then black, then white, then red. And there's a big jump in between white and red. 250,000 cards. Yeah. Clearly, like the white cards are seeing more play. People like playing white cards more than red cards. But conversely, like if you count up the total number of decks for all commanders in the monocolor identities... Mono green has 11,200 decks. Add up all the mono green commanders and the, all the decks from those commanders, 11,200. Red has 11,700. Black has 11,200. Blue, only 11,000. White has 7,800. Yeah, the huge drop off. Like all of them are pretty comparable until white. Yeah. Like clearly people hate playing mono white. And I would argue that a big part of that is because the mono white commanders are just not good. I think we see that in data, like Linden who came out, like people groaned about that because like, oh, another not playable mono white commander. When we did get mono green commanders that both you and I argued were not good. Yeah. And no one cared as much because it's like green already has enough good options. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah. Who cares? So that's a huge weakness in white's color identity. And that's part of the reason it looks like white is doing worse than red. Because like if there's no good reason to play a white deck, then it makes white look like a bad color. Yeah. Next question to discuss about this data and the conclusions we're drawing from it. Yeah. <laughs> Does the argument we're making implicitly overemphasize control with a combo finish? What we're talking about, it's all about like efficient removal and then a few cards that win the game on their own. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that we're overemphasizing this style of deck? You could make the argument that we are. I am of the opinion that control and the combo finish is just literally the best deck in the format. If you were to just look at the decks that win, like if you were to go to your local card shop or anything like that, the control and the combo finish is going to have a much higher win percentage than a lot of the other decks, a lot of the aggro decks, mm-hmm. barring something insane like Krenko. I agree. I think that like it's really the constraints of the format make it so that control decks with a combo finish are more likely to win. And yeah. this argument just builds off of that premise. Yeah. If the starting life total was lowered... 
the definition of what constitutes a good card would change and then maybe more aggressive cards would become more generally useful and then we'd have to build our framework off of that but just from the world that exists now where you have 40 life and like a million years (laughs) before you actually have to worry about aggressive decks and what they're doing control decks with a combo finisher just like a solid plan for winning in commander Mm -hmm. there's just so much of a buffer to like get what you're doing going Here's another question for discussion. How does the social contract impact color balance? This is something that during the EDH rec deep dive, we kind of noticed colors and cards that we would assume would have been seeing much more play were not just because they either were like, quote, unfun or they were combo cards. And the conclusion we kind of had to come to is that this is a social contract thing. I mean, as we were talking about the best cards in each color, you may have heard us mention Armageddon, Ravages of War. Those are very powerful cards that do add to White's viability in the format. Or the other ones you mentioned, like Mm -hmm. Thoughts of Ruin, Bus, uh, Blood Moon, whatever. Those add to Red's viability. But the two colors that are best at disrupting their opponent's mana are the weakest colors. And because disrupting your opponent's mana is like not fun they take the biggest hit yeah. relative to the others. The social contract really inhibits these two colors that are built more around tearing down what your opponents are doing mm-hmm. as opposed to building up what you're doing. Because of the way the color pie shakes out and like what people's feelings are towards these different effects, the social contract generally like is inhibiting the colors that are already doing the worst. Yeah. How does the cost of cards impact color balance? We've kind of been trying to stay away from this, but like, obviously this has implications on like the real world play experience people have. It's hard to make like a general statement, but the fewer redundant effects there are, the more high prices handicap colors. When we were listing out the Black Tutors, we mentioned Imperial Seal and Grim Tutor, and those are absurdly expensive. Yeah, just ridiculous. But there's also like nine other options on that list that aren't in the 200 plus dollar range Mm -hmm. so black has a lot of replacements and yeah you're going to lose some percentage points on your probability of like drawing a a tutor by a certain turn if you're not running imperial seal and grim tutor but it's not a massive impact on your deck's playability but if there is an effect that you only have one of there aren't easy replacements and your color is going to feel it a lot more if you're not running it so like there's only one expropriate but it's like 40 plus dollars yeah I guess my answer is like it depends and it's hard to say like how it affects each color and it's pretty hard to tell this one just from data points if you take it on faith that the assumptions we've made about color balance are correct how can white and red shore up their weaknesses especially if wizards is not keen on printing more tutors the first one is just literal commanders Mm mm-hmm Like, we saw what happened with SRAM. Like, SRAM just, like, whoop, like, way up there. Most popular white commander. Because it's doing something. It's a white commander that's doing something. I think that's the first and easiest fix Mm -hmm. for white, is just print good commanders. I mean, like you said, we've seen so many good red commanders the last few years. It's made red incredibly fun to play. Another thing I think white can do is just print redundant copies of effects white has access to. So like generous gift is a good start in this direction. Yeah. But there just aren't that many efficient white spot removal spells for like creatures, for example. They don't have to be path 
or swords. They don't have to be yeah. one mana, but like maybe two mana. Like yeah, like Winds of Abandon. If that was an instant, it'd be format staple easy. Declaration in Stone. If that was an instant, instant format staple yeah, for all time. Been- I would say that that's a pretty minor one, though. Like, it's not going to fundamentally solve the colors problems. Like, white can answer stuff, generally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the problem white has run into, is that over the years, like, where red was the aggressive color, and that was what was holding it back, white was the color of answers. You just had your answer for each thing. Mm. And in a 60-card format, and you run four disenchants, that's fine. Or you run four paths, or you run four whatever it's going to be. But in a 100-card singleton format, whereas the other disenchant, white runs wide. Like, white can do a lot of things. If you mm-hmm. look at the color pie, like, if you run your disenchant and your generous skip, like, it's a very shallow pool, and you just have to luck into it. Mm-hmm. So, like, Rex Sage, but white doesn't exist. That would be nice. Yeah, that would... That would be great. That could yeah. be a staple. They could literally print Banner Progress, but white. And that would not be at a color pie, and it would be a format staple. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no reason. Get it with your recruiter of the card. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but white isn't really able to increase its cards, increase yeah. its mana, increase the quality of its resources, or end the game. And those are all massive drawbacks. And if Wizards doesn't address at least some of those problems, like, white is always going to be fighting a losing battle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the problem that they've done with white is they're like, yeah, white plays catch up. But if you're always playing catch-up, you're always losing. When green casts Rampant Growth, it's irrespective of what everyone else is doing. It's always going to do the thing. But let's say you went first in a white deck. Your Knight of the White Orchid doesn't do anything unless someone else is, Is is ramping. Yeah, it's pretty insane. One way that Wizards can potentially address some of these drawbacks to playing white. We talked about white could get effects that draw the game. Like yeah. divine intervention as a way to, to end the game that feels flavorful for white. I personally very much like this. I think wording could be better. So like if it says... Everyone e- wins the game. Yeah, maybe that would make people a little happier or it wouldn't trigger the same like defense mechanisms mm-hmm. that it does in other people. The only problem with that sort of effect is like it's a little bit anticlimactic. With Craterhoof and Insurrection, there's like this visceral, Timmy-pleasing moment of like I'm attacking for a billion and even like exsanguinate lets you calculate exactly how much life you just gained like they're <laughs> big numbers are happening but if you just have like an eight mana sorcery that says the game is a draw it's not exactly like an epic conclusion yeah I think it would have to be like tied to something like like it'd be an enchantment where if this condition is met they would have to be smart about it and mm. make make it something where like I did this thing and now we all win Tap eight untapped creatures you control. Something. They're all praying for the divine intervention. <laughs> yeah, or like if you can tap other people's creatures too. So like if everyone has two tapped creatures, like something goofy. It could be something that feels cool but has like a low threshold for actually occurring in the mm-hmm. same way that like Crater Hoof. Yeah, you got to have like a couple dudes on the board. Doesn't matter what size they are or anything. There is a condition to make Crater Hoof work. It's just an extremely easy condition to meet. Another alternative might be to give white more overrun effects. White gets the most creatures, but it's a little strange that like white's mass pump caps out at plus two, plus two. Whereas green, just there's no limit. If you look at Morrow's mechanical color pie article, like for plus N plus N to your team, it's supposed to be primary in white and secondary in green. 
And I'm quoting here, white is the color most likely to pump its team, most often with plus one plus one, but will occasionally go up to plus two plus two. Green's team pump starts at plus three plus three and often also adds trample. I, I wouldn't mind seeking out some more clarification from Mark Rosewater on like why he's making that distinction. Yeah. But if like white is the color of armies and has the most creatures, I mean, the distinction does seem kind of arbitrary and there's no reason you couldn't print a white crater of behemoth or like triumph of the hordes. A card I've kind of advocated for, for a very long time is like five mana white spell. Your team gets plus two, plus two and double strike. Mm -hmm. And it's like, It'd be good if it was an instant. If it's a sorcery, that's fine. Then it's more or less the same as Overwhelming Stampede. Because Overwhelming Stampede, your team often gets four, five, six, like a very large number. And then you often kill one or more players. And it was five mana? Mm -hmm. Why is that only a green thing? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. And it's using creatures. It's, It's the same thing. It's like you're still going wide with creatures with Overwhelming Stampede. So why not in the color that goes wide with creatures the next time we go back to new phyrexia or something i would really like to see just like two white white creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain flying and infect until end of turn yes yes literally like that's, anything that's not a busted card but it's like okay this is a real tool yeah for white as for improving red i'd like to see more rituals and like dockside extortionist was a good option more rituals are just like going to better enable red's combo potential and help it sort of like sneak in wins before it runs out of resources or before like the green decks go over the top i think that red can get away with like not having great answers or great ways to win a war of attrition if it's more explosive no i also agree with that and it feels really red and again like they've been doing such a good job not only just with the red commanders but just with these red effects giving red space it didn't have before like building into red's discard building into the impulse draw, like giving red these areas to explore that feel very red, that are great in commander that people think are really fun. Treasure being evergreen, hopefully just giving red more treasure cards. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Like awesome. Keep doing that. Like give red this like temporary mana generation. Cause again, it feels red. It's the same with the impulse draw. I would definitely like to see more red graveyard interaction. Mm -hmm. It's getting to the point where red can sculpt its graveyard better than any other color. Yeah. It has so many discard effects that are free to run. Essentially more graveyard interaction would be a way to like just synergize with what the color is already doing. And of course it's very powerful. Another thing I was thinking of, and this might be more narrow, effects that scale off of the number of cards you own in exile. Oh yeah, that's actually space that I would want for white too, because mm. white exiles things a lot. And they actually printed a guy who was not good. It was a three mana two two, but it was a four four if an opponent had a card in exile. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh great, we're gonna see this design space in white, and then nothing. And then nothing. It would only take a little bit of a push to really reward players for playing all these o-ring variants Mm -hmm. yeah not not much at all because a lot of them are playable and good and white exiles graveyards all the time like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of space yeah but um for red for it to count like its own cards in exile that would be a great way to incentivize running these like impulse draw effects Mm -hmm. i think that could be really good 
But if you have ideas about how to improve color balance, obviously we're spitballing some ideas here. I have some more extreme views on how to fix the color. One of my less extreme ones is white should just cry all the time. We saw this on Charmed Prince. You could print a white enchantment. It could be standard legal. It's like three mana. Whenever a creature attacks, scry one. Because they're so afraid of printing white cards that draw. Like they hated Dawn of Hope. I don't know why. It's like, that's a great card. Everyone loves that card. Like that's exactly what white needed. But you don't need to print as many Dawn of Hopes if you compare them with all of these white scry effects. No, I totally agree. If you're not going to print tutors as a way for these, for like red and white to increase their card quality to an extent, like red's rummaging effects are a way to increase card quality. They're just not nearly as effective. Like you're not going, I'm going to get the best card in my deck. I'm going to discard the worst card in my deck to have a chance at the best card in my deck. It's like very small edges that add up, like red's constant rummaging. And I I think you're totally right. If white got access to a bunch more scry, and especially just like free to run scry, Mm -hmm. in the same way that rummaging is free to run for red, like stapling scry effects to effects that are already good, disenchant scry one. You can make the argument that scry two is almost equivalent to drawing a card. It's not, obviously. It's not resources in hand. But like white cards that scry to just in general, like tack that onto things or even just cards that literally scry to. Like we have red cards that all they do is you discard cards and draw cards. Like if there's like a white cantrippy thing, that doesn't seem too hard. That doesn't seem like color pie breaking. Yeah, I like that idea. But again, if you listeners have any ideas for how white and red can be improved, we are totally interested in hearing those ideas. Also, like everything we talked about today is going to be posted. It's going to be accessible to you. You can access it through the show notes. Please let us know if you disagree with like our methodology, like the Mm -hmm. cut points we made for like trying to decide like what is a good enough card? What is an efficient effect? Yeah. We welcome your input on that too. I think that's all we have time for today. Yeah, this was a very heady episode, so thank you for sticking with us. Mm-hmm. We think this is an important discussion to have, especially nowadays as it's become kind of more popular and people are talking about it. Now, here's some ammunition that you can use and whether you agree with it or not, like it's a jumping off point. Yeah, I think that like even if you disagree with our cut points, like this might be a good way to start thinking about color power level and you might include cards we didn't and your numbers might come out a little bit different, but it could be a good way to really quantify a discussion that hasn't had a lot of numbers or hard data behind. Yeah, it's been a lot of feelings and not a lot of data for a long time. (laughs) But thank you all for listening. Before we go on, briefly thank our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Brock, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Nathan, and Cooper. It's because of your support that we're able to make episodes like today that took a a lot of homework to get right. And uh, if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please go to patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>